Good to see everybody this morning. I see we have some distinguished guests with us this morning. I had heard that Brother Dwayne was sick of his class. I mean, that he was sick and that his class would be in here this morning, but uh, it's good to see y'all. Nice to have the college and career class with us this morning. We'll be in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> Make your way there as we um, endeavor to, over the next uh, couple of weeks, complete this uh, study on the life of Joseph. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I will be in the prison, so I ask you to pray. Begin to pray now for that time and for me as I seek the, the will of the Lord and the mind of the Lord for that. And and then uh, next Sunday morning, I'll be preaching over there. Lord willing, I have a couple of guests with me next week. Uh, Samuel and Tim will be here, and I think they're going to go with me and and I think Peter's going to go on Monday, so be praying for us and that the Lord will use us there. So we're in, uh, we're in, going to begin at the very end of chapter 44 this morning and then um, go into chapter 45 and 46, Lord willing. And I see, um, I see three things really in these two chapters. I see Joseph's revealing, which is the first thing that we'll this, uh, cover this morning, and then I see Jacob's reviving. And finally, I see the long-awaited and unexpected reunion between Jacob and Joseph. And um, so, looking forward to what the Lord's going to do here uh, and help us here. But, you know, before we could have this uh, revealing of Joseph, uh, before he would reveal himself to his brethren, there had to be a time of trouble. Y'all notice that? That his brothers had to go through some trouble. They had to go through some testing. They had to go through some tribulation. Now, I hope y'all been keeping up with our thoughts here about this and how Joseph is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you see the, the typology here of what's coming for the, for the brethren? For the Jews, uh, they're going to be going through a time of trouble. It's called Jacob's trouble. You read about that in the Bible, right? Jacob's trouble, the time of tribulation. How long is that going to last? Seven years, yeah, seven years. And so, how long is this famine that they're in going to last? Seven years. Isn't that interesting? You know, God's interested in numbers. And you know, especially notice He's interested in percentages as well. And we'll see some of that here in the days to come. So this tribulation time, this, this time of testing here that the brethren is going through is, is trying them, and God is going to do that for the Jews. Now remember, Brother Roger preached that message here a month or two ago about the, the Jews not being ignorant that God has not forsaken His people. He will deal with His people again, and He will do it through the time of Jacob's trouble through this tribulation. And He will draw them unto them, and the ones that survive the tribulation time, will their eyes will be open, and they will see the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they will receive the kingdom that God has promised to them. Amen. It will come. It is the sovereign will of God, and it will happen. 
And so God has been working in these men, these, these brethren of Joseph here, and bringing their sin ever before them. And so now we're seeing that after probably 20 years of not discussing this issue, not discussing what they did to Joseph, that now it's back on their mind and their heart, and they're beginning to talk about it again. They're trying, you no doubt, it never left them inside, but I don't think it was verbally discussed openly between them, but the working of God brings a man to confession and repentance. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 at the end of that verse? It says, the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. Amen. So if God brings you to repentance, it's through His goodness. Amen. Because if we don't repent, we can't be reconciled to Him. We cannot be in fellowship with Him. We can't even be saved until we repent of our sin and express faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, so this work is the work according to John 16 that the Holy Spirit does. Right? What is the work the Holy Spirit does? It's reproving the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. And you know, the Holy Spirit will do His work. Amen? He is going to do what He came to this earth to do. And He will point point men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, But but somehow God works this together through the prayer of faith. In other words, for the Holy Spirit sometimes to be engaged in His work to a, to a level of actual effectual working, it seems that somehow He mixes prayer into that. Isn't it interesting how God decides to let us get involved in that? It's amazing to me, but my question is, is are we engaging the Holy Spirit's work in our lives by faith and through prayer, led by the Spirit of God? And are we doing it also in those around us, those that, that in our families, those that are lost around us? And, and are we doing it with persistence? Remember the parable that the Lord Jesus taught about this and the importunate friend that was, you know, he wouldn't get up for his friend, but boy, when he kept on and kept on and kept on, he got up. Y'all remember that? And I looked that word up, and that word means that it's bearing on or urging in request or demand. It means it has an urgency to it. So why would God require that we have this continual persistence in prayer? What would God possibly be doing during that time? Well, mainly he's working on us, don't you think? He's starting to purify our motives. He's starting to get us to examine our own life to see if there be anything that's hindering his working. And he's starting to lead us unto holiness. And he's also beginning to bring us into submission to his will. Amen. That ultimately, God's will would be what we want. And I, I've thought about this... Um, <clears throat> at times, I don't know if you guys ever pray this way or not, but uh, sometimes, you know, when I pray and, and then I'll think and say, but God, if you have something better than what I prayed, then just go ahead and do that. Amen. <laughs> here, think about that. I mean, we, you're going to see here in, in, in Jacob's life that Jacob could not have prayed for what God did. It was way great. I guarantee you when Job, when Benjamin was gone, he was praying for Benjamin to come back. But boy, he wasn't praying for Joseph 
to be seen for Him. And so God, sometimes when we're in prayer and we're persevering and, and we're asking God for these things urgently and, and with intention, which we should, sometimes God's also purifying us and checking our motive and checking our, our holiness before Him and then ultimately bringing us into a point of submission to His will so that He could actually do something that would be better than what we could have even prayed for. Amen. And so we see, as introduction here, we see these things. And then we, um, I want to, um, I want to start with that verse 33 now in verse, in chapter 45. It says, Now therefore I pray thee. Now this is Judah speaking. We've talked about the change in Judah. And look what it says. Now therefore I pray thee. Let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. Now he's talking about Benjamin going back. Let Benjamin go back and let me stay and be your servant. Because Joseph's already told him, the one that got caught with the cup, he's staying. And he says, no. He says, would you let me stay and let him go back? And here's the reason, verse 34. For how shall I go up to my father? And the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Now this shows something here very important. It shows a change of heart in Judah. Y'all agree? He sure wasn't interested in that before. And it shows a change of behavior. So when we talk about repentance, what are we talking about? We're talking about a change of mind that leads to a change of of action and a change of feelings, a change of things that are important to us. Don't you agree? Don't you worry about people that say they're saved, but they don't act any different than they did before they're saved? Isn't that concerning? That That doesn't fit the biblical model of salvation, does it? Something must change. If you've repented of your sin, then that means that you've changed your mind about it. It's going to have to change your behavior about it. And so, if that's the case, then we're going to act differently. And, I, and I'm afraid that people that have that type of experience that doesn't make them different here is also not going to take them to the place they're hoping. Amen. As Brother Roger said, if your religion can't take you to church, I'm, I'm seriously concerned if it's going to take you to heaven or not. That's just one of the things that changed. Before I got saved, I wasn't interested in spending my Sunday morning at the church house. And I wanted to be in front of the TV or outside in the yard or, if possible, fishing somewhere. But I didn't, that wasn't high on my list, spending my Sunday in church. But after that, Brother Kevin, it's amazing how things changed. Something, all of a sudden now, I'll be honest with you, this happens in every area of our life. Our desires, our behavior, our priorities, our actions, our finances, the way we spend our time, changes based on what now becomes important to us. There, when, Before I married my wife, there were some things that I liked to do. Um, and uh, some of those things, after I got married, I never did again. Some of the things that I enjoyed the most had the best times and best memories of, I never did them again. Isn't that amazing? I used to go with my friends down wade fishing down in Rockport, and we'd camp out and fish and have the best time, right? When I got married, I never went again. You know why? Something else had my attention. Something else was more important now. 
And so I wasn't as interested, although it would have been fun, but it wouldn't have been as much fun as it was spending time with her. So when you get saved, something needs to change. And, and certainly now, this, this, letting God, this work that God has done in Judah's heart has changed something about him. So let's look at now in ver- chapter 45. Let's start with verse 1. It said, Then Joseph could not refrain himself. So this is what he's been looking for. This is the evidence that he's been waiting on to see if there's been true change, sorrow, godly sorrow unto repentance. And he sees this here in Judah. And man, he cannot contain. He says he cannot refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried. Cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Verse 2, And he wept, wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Boy, I bet they were troubled. Let's go back and let's look at something here. This is really what I see here is just when raw emotion overcomes all constraints. He couldn't hold himself back anymore. And I, I, I wonder about us sometimes. I wonder about myself why I'm not, why I am so constrained sometimes with my emotions, especially toward Christ and what he's done for us. You know, we get in a, as Brother Ron Ralph would say, Brother Roger, we get in a box, and we get God in a box, and we get in a box of the way we have to behave in certain things. And Joseph's box got busted all up right here. And this is a dignitary of the highest order. He's not very acting very dignified right now. He's acting out of true, pure, and raw emotion. It's just taken over his life. Have you ever had just a moment like that where them emotions just overtook you? Whether it be a, 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 for the Lord or for family or for something that really, really that you love, that, care, that you care about, that you're just overwhelmed with it. That's what happened to Mr. Joseph in this, in this day here. As he wept, and look at it, he cried in verse 1. He wept aloud. In verse 2, so much so that the Egyptians and even in the Pharaoh's house, they heard him. And I know that men aren't supposed to be emotional, right? So I guess you're saying that Joseph's not a man? Wait a minute now, didn't the Bible call him several times the man? The man Joseph? The man Joseph? Is Joseph a manly man? Absolutely. And he shows pure and very deep emotions. A man is not supposed to be ruled by his emotions. You understand? And now Joseph wasn't ruled by his emotions. Years of time's gone on here. At least a year, maybe more. This period of time of his brothers coming and leaving. And he's been patient. And he's been concealing himself. He's been holding back his emotions until the proper time. See, that's where a man doesn't let his emotions control him. But he certainly is not emotionless. We have a problem if we have no emotions. I mean, if you have no emotions, you have nothing that you care about. Emotions are good and God's given them to us for a reason. 
And I thank God for them. I don't want to be ruled by my emotions, but I don't want to be without them. What about the Lord Himself? Did He ever show any emotion? Absolutely. He wept at Lazarus' grave over the unbelief of the people. He got angry in the temple, did He not? Without sin. He even, uh, I was thinking about how He even, in the garden, there was sweat as drops of blood. And what about when He saw the people and He had compassion upon them as, as a sheep without a shepherd? True emotion. He experienced and he, he showed this. But I think sometimes we're allowing the fear of man, concerns of what others think about us, our reputation to hinder us from showing love and tenderness and even zeal and passion, which I think are important. If you don't have any emotions, maybe we don't have any cares. Maybe we don't have enough burdens. Let's go to Matthew 11 for a second. You know, a man that doesn't have burdens, I don't think he has cares. Unless you tell me that just everything, everybody in your life is just wonderfully blessed and every situation in life is going exactly the way that you want it. And then if you say that, then I'll say, well, you are truly a blessed man, but what about those around you that don't know Christ? How are they doing? Do you have any burdens for them at all? Do we have any burdens at all for them? Look what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at that word, rest. Then he says in verse uh, 29, Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I thought about, man, that rest. That's something, uh, rest of your soul. What is that? Rest over worry, anxiety, you know, over things that you can't fix. You gotta yoke up with Jesus. You know, that yoke was a, was a wooden, in those days, certainly, they had a wooden, uh, not a stick, but a, but a board, uh, 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 that they would yoke them together with, and they would push against it together. Who do you think is gonna do the heavy pushing on that deal when you yoked up with Jesus? Amen. You know, one thing I, I've noticed, Brother Tucker, you know, I, I only occasionally, I feel sorry for you guys that are so big and strong and everything occasionally, most of the time. Uh, I admire and I'm thankful for you guys. But you know what? Whenever somebody needs to do something heavy, they always call Brother Tucker. You see? When we need something heavy done at our house, we call Brother Jared. Amen? And nobody calls me Brother Roger. You know what I'm saying? They call Dennis. They call Jared. They call Peter, Samuel, anybody. Don't call Dad. Most of the time, Ron just saying, get somebody else to do that so you don't hurt yourself. (laughs) Man, that's not good. I'm starting to feel bad about that. But man, I tell you what, if Jesus is carrying the heavy load for us, I think it would be lighter, don't y'all think? He says it'd be light if we just let him have some of these burdens that we have. But I'll tell you, he says to come unto him, and it's assumed here there's going to be us that have these heavy burdens and that then that labor under them. And it says that in verse 29, don't forget this, he says that we're to learn of him. 
There's something to be learned about the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and we do that as we go through these experiences and we see Him do this for us. Let's go back to, to Genesis chapter 45. These burdens, man, I tell you what, they bring us to Jesus and then we see Him able. And once we see Him able, then can come the joy and peace and the increased love and the, and the trust. But first we must feel the weight. First we must feel the weight. Amen. Let's look at verse 4. It says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Now let me just say, Joseph did not forget what they did to him. Amen. But he did forgive them. Look down in verse 5. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. So let me, let me help you here now. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, they say, forgive and forget. That's not always easy, not always possible. Sometimes it happens, especially if the offense is not that great. This was a pretty great offense, wouldn't you say? He didn't forget about it. Okay, but he forgave them. And now what's he encouraging them? Forgive yourself. He says, don't let this here affect you in the rest of your life. He says, basically, I've forgiven you, okay? And I've exercised faith in this matter. I've seen the work of God in this matter. And it was God that sent me here. Now, what they did certainly was not the will of God, but God worked it together for good. Romans 8.28, living it out before it was written. He said, God did it. God allowed this. God worked good out of this. He sent me here for a reason. Look down in verse 7. It says, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. He said, not only did God send me here for your sake, He sent me here for the family's sake and for the the generations to come. Look down in verse 8. It says again, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And He made me a father to Pharaoh. Now, he's 30 years old when he comes before Pharaoh. I don't think he's older than Pharaoh. What does he mean by he made me a father? What does a father do? Provides, takes care of. He's he's taking care of his father. He's taking care of Pharaoh. He's providing for Pharaoh. Isn't that amazing that God... I mean, God could have preserved the Jewish seed any way he chose to. He could have done it within his own people there. But he chooses to use a heathen king... In a heathen nation. He got, and, and, and matter of fact, if you look at this, it shows that God, Joseph understood that God sent him there to preserve Pharaoh and that nation as well. God cares about the heathen. It's, it's amazing. And, and through it all, of course, his ultimate, goal, his ultimate will is that he's going to preserve the seed. But he's also going to preserve a whole lot more. And I thank God for that. He said, not only made me a Pharaoh, not only made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord or master of all his house and ruler, 
He has dominion. He's a governor, it's called in another place, throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 9. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Do you see from verse 5, God did sin. Verse 7, God sent. Verse 8, but God made me. And then down in verse 9, God made me. Do you do you think Joseph understands who did all this? I mean, he was involved in it, don't you think? I think he had to obey God. And he was faithful to God. But who did it all? So it was God. I, said, I can't explain that. I didn't come down here on purpose. <laughs> I sure didn't get thrown into jail on purpose. <laughs> Amen. He said, but God did all that. And God had His purposes. And, you know, it's hard for us to, to figure out what God's doing. I guarantee you, Joseph didn't understand all that. Even though he had a word from God, he knew it would come to pass. He didn't lose sight of that. But that word was trying him, remember? There were times when he had to exercise faith repeatedly in what God said. As that word tried him, and he finally said, God, you are good, and your word is true, and it will be, no matter what it looks like, here with me in this prison. God is doing it. He's come to that conclusion. It's evident. It's obvious. You know, I need to go back for a second here. You know, when he first reveals himself to his brethren, what's the first thing on his mind? Does my father yet live? He says, oh man. I want to show you all something here in a second about that. So, God did it. Continually. But he's encouraging them, and I think this is a key word for us, that we do not get stuck in unforgiveness of ourselves, if we've exercised faith and asked God to forgive us, then we need to forgive ourselves and move on. That makes sense? You understand? Sometimes we're caught up in guilt. How many times do we continually go back to, how do you handle that? How do you handle that? Because I know it must happen to somebody else besides just me. You know, you've messed up, you've asked God to forgive you, and then what? A day or two later, you're reminded that you remember that you messed up. How do you handle that? Well, you don't go back to God and ask Him to forgive you again. What do you do? You thank Him that you are forgiven. And then ask Him to help you to overcome and do what you can in spite of that. But don't continually go back to God and ask Him to do what He's already done. If you've exercised faith in that, then thank Him that you're forgiven. Now, God, help me get over this. Help me fix what I can of this, Lord. Help me not to repeat this, Lord. But thank You that I'm forgiven. Lord, Your mercy is, is, is infinite. There's no end to God's mercy. So we want, to, we want to glorify Him in His forgiveness of us in our mess up. And so look what it says here and, um, in verse 11. He tells his brethren here, he tells them, go down and get dad and bring him back and I'm going to put you in Goshen. And then he says, and I will nourish thee. He says, there's five years of famine that are left. So we know now it's been 22 years since this thing happened where they sold him into slavery. And so he says in verse 13, and ye shall tell my father. Oh boy, man, this is something. 
He said, he went up there and he told him up there already in verse 9. He said, tell him, tell dad that God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Then down here he says, in verse 13, he says, go and tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. Well, you see, you see a son's heart here, brother Roger? He wants his dad to know he did good. Isn't that something? How we never get over that. We want our dads to think that we did good. Amen? Look what God did, Dad. It's amazing. I'm doing well. I'm okay. You know, I'm better than okay. God did more than what we could have ever expected. That's what a son wants. That's a son's heart. Verse 14. It says, And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. A whole lot of weeping going on right here. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Isn't that an interesting statement? wonder what they talked about. After all that weeping and all that, I wonder what that conversation, I bet that conversation was rich. What y'all want to bet? Were their hearts not just mended and melted together? I bet Joseph wanted to know about dad and what was going on at the house and about their families and their wives and their, their, their children, grandchildren. 22 years, what all's happened? You know, he probably remembered some of the, his brethren's sons that were this small that now got kids this small, you know? What about them? Wonder what they they said probably said, Joseph, how in the world did God do this? What did God do? And they started to tell him the story. I wonder what the emotions were like, you know. When he says, Well, you know, you sold me, I got bought by Potiphar. And I went into his house and God just worked me up through the ranks until I was in charge, and guess what? Envy struck. And then his wife asked me to lay with her, and I I didn't do it. And I got falsely accused and thrown in jail, and they they hurt my feet, put me in shackles. And he said, but God was good, and he allowed me to interpret a dream. But the butler forgot me for two years. Two more years I spent in there. And then God brought me out. And can you imagine along the way? It's like, man. Man, you can't believe what he had to go through. They didn't think about that when they sold him. Thank God for what he does for us. Amen. 22 years is a long time. A lot happens in 22 years. Verse 16. And, there were, and the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. Why was Pharaoh pleased? Why do y'all think Pharaoh was pleased? You're right. Brother John, I'll tell you what. He was pleased. Pharaoh was pleased because Joseph was pleased. And because Pharaoh loved Joseph because of what he did for him. 
And then he cared about what Joseph cared about. Man, doesn't the Bible tell us that we're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice? Weep with those that weep? Man, he's Pharaoh's saying, Man, Joseph's excited. This man has saved my life, saved my country. God sent him here as an incredible blessing to me. He says, that's, that's, This is amazing. Tell you what, he's a man of means and he's about to lay some blessings on him. He says, I tell you what, look what it says here. He says, he tells Joseph, he says, say unto thy brethren, verse 17. He says, get, get your stuff, man, lay your beast. He says, get the wagons, send them down to your folks. He says, he said, I will give you, in verse 18, the good of the land of Egypt. Give you the best of the land. Bring your family. Get over here. I'll send the wagons. Verse 19, he says, Thou art commanded to do this day. Get those wagons out. Load them down for the people to bring everybody back. Verse 20, he says, Don't even regard your stuff. He says, Because all the good of the land of Egypt is yours. You don't need to bring your stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. Okay? We got plenty of good stuff here for you. You can have whatever you want. I'd say he definitely... Joseph had done something for him. He wanted to repay Joseph. What do y'all think? Well, he sure enough don't know these other guys, but he knows Joseph. Amen? There's something in that right there. Something in that. You know, people that have been a blessing to me, I want to be a blessing to people they care about. Amen? I mean, I pass it on. Yes, the man... I told your mom what a blessing you have been to me. I said, man, God sent you into my life and blessed me, Brother Kevin, and the past decade has been amazing. And I thanked her for what she did, and she said, God did it. And that's what Joseph said, too. God did it. But only God can do stuff like that. But yeah, I told my boys, I told Samuel, and I told Peter, when, when we stood at the graveside of Brother Chris Lumpkin, I said, you see his son right there? You see Jonathan? I said, if this, boy, if this man needs anything, I say, his daddy's been a blessing to me. If you can help him, you help him. So that's the way, that's the way I feel about it. And that's the way, obviously, Pharaoh felt about it. And so Joseph, he goes on, look at well, look what happens to Joseph. He does what, what, he, what he commands him in verse 21. And then in verse 22, he loads Benjamin up here with 300 uh, shekels of silver, or pieces of silver, and five cha- changes of raiment. Well, I tell you what, I think there ain't, no, there ain't no doubt about who Joseph's favorite is. He wasn't involved in that thing at the pit, by the way, okay? And they do have the same mother. But he said, yeah, okay guys, y'all good, and y'all, we all good, but Benjamin, that's different. Amen, that's different. And so, he, uh, he also takes care of his daddy. He says, look down there, he says in verse 23, And his father, he sent this manner, ten asses laden with good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So we got to take care of daddy and all his for the way, but I tell you what, we're going to send him ten extra just with some good stuff. Just beyond what he needed. The, one t- the ten was just for his needs, and, but the other ten was because he's daddy, and because I can't. Amen. I got it. God, it's available to me. And I'm going to bless it. Man, that was tremendous. And thank God that he did. Because look what happens. Now we're about to see here the reviving of Jacob. What an amazing thing. So they head on down. 
and are going down to see Jacob. Now remember, it's been 22 years. Jacob's back at the house. Had has no fault, no thought of Joseph. But he's definitely thinking about the other boys and especially about Benjamin. And so verse 25, it says, They went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan and to Jacob their father and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted for he believed them not. Boy, I tell you what, that was off the radar, beyond expectations. He stumbled, his face stumbled here. It says he stumbled in unbelief. He would not believe them. Totally beyond what he could expect. Doesn't that remind you of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20? To he that is able, to him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. He couldn't think, Brother Tucker, of this. <laughs> this is beyond his thinking ability. And God has done it. He has done an amazing thing here. But he's, he, he's not received it yet. Y'all understand? He's not received it. But I tell you what, he's about to, because look what's going to happen here. And verse 27. And they told him all the words of Joseph, and which he had said unto them. And when he... What's that next word? Saul. Amazing what our eyes do for us. Now this is a Jew here too, by the way. He's always looking for a sign that God's doing something. Well, he saw something here. He said when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Man, he got revived in his spirit. And I'm going to tell you what, when he did... When he saw that and that revival came, there's some things that changed. Number one, his attitude changed. He had an attitude of hope and an attitude of excitement, which he didn't have before. Number two, not only did his attitude change, but his actions changed. Look down in verse 28. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now all of a sudden, he's going to go. He's going to take action. And then lastly, he had a change of fellowship with his father, his heavenly father. Amen. Because what does it say? Look down there. And by the way, if you read the New Age versions, you'll miss this in most of them. But it says that Jacob, their father, revived. And then it said, and what? And what does it say in verse 28? And Israel. Wait a minute. It called him Jacob and then it called him Israel. Why is there a difference? Because when his spirit revived, his relationship with God revived. And now, what what does Israel mean? Prince of God. Now he gave him his spiritual name back. Once he got his direction, he got his relationship back with God. Amen? That's intentional. That's not accidental in your King James Bible that it changed the name there. It did that on purpose so that you know that this is not the same man that was in unbelief just a verse before that. When he saw what God did, he exercised faith, he took action upon it, and God changed his relationship with him and restored it and gave him back his name Israel. And you know that because if you read on down in the next chapter, it says in verse 1 that he came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac. And then if you look on down in verse 2, and God spake unto Israel, in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, 
for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again, and Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. So I see this revival caused him to re, to revive in his relationship with God. He offered sacrifices. He uh, And then God began to speak to him again, and he spoke to him in a vision. And then God comforted him and assured him and renewed his promise to him that you're going to be fine down there, son. This is my will. You're going to go down there. But he said, you're going to come up again. But he also said, Joseph's going to lay his hand on your eyes. So what does that mean? When he says you're going to come out of there, he means your seed's coming out of there, but you're not coming out of there alive. You're going to be died down there. Joseph's going to put his hand over your eyes. You're going to go into uh, sleep, and you're going to pass on to the next world. He says, but your people, your seed, they're coming out of there. Amen. And Joseph believed that. We'll see at the end of the book, and we'll see in, in the next book, in the, in the Exodus, that they did come out. Amen. Just as God said they would. Amen. So we're going to stop there, and we're going to pray. We'll pick up there next week, and we'll get to the, to the reunion. Lord willing, the next time we meet, which won't be next week, the week after. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to come to your word, Lord, and to see, God, not only what you have done, Lord, what you've shown us, but even to see what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is doing even for us today. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have in the blood of Christ, Lord. And we thank you, God, and pray that you revive our heart as you did Jacob, Lord, in those days gone by, Father. Pray even today we'd hear the word of God by faith and apply it to our lives and take action upon it, Lord, that you might receive the glory and honor that you deserve. Bless our pastor as he stands to preach today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.